We are Hope Church Guildford. This is a recent recording from our Sunday morning gathering. We hope you can join us at the Royal Grammar School on Guildford High Street, Sundays at 10am. Enjoy the message. Uh, wonderful, isn't it? It's such a good, so good, these, these different things that we do as a church, supporting local uh, charities who do such good. So thanks, Connie, for sharing about all that Friends International do. And uh, God, we're full today, aren't we? It's great seeing so many people here. Um, obviously, Christmas is over, and you're all back from your holidays, which is fantastic. Sometimes when I'm at the front, it's sort of, you know, five to ten, there's no one here, and then suddenly turn around, and like, wow, it's great. Good to see you. Thank you for coming. I'm Chris, and I get the joy of... Um, leading Hope Church. I'm one of the elders here of the church as well and I get the privilege of starting our new series today and that series we've called it Sexuality, Gender and Singleness, Extending God's Welcome to Everyone. And um, so if you're here for the first time, Welcome. I'm so pleased that you've come. Normally, what we would be doing on a Sunday morning is preaching through a book of the Bible. And at the moment, we've been going through the book of Mark, and we'll carry that on in four weeks' time. And that will lead up to Easter. But for now, we're just going to take a pause for four weeks to talk about this key cultural um, and increasingly significant area and topic for, for people in our church and also in our community and so we're going to be um, doing that over four weeks. And this week, it's really going to be just looking at God's big picture for sex and relationships. And it's probably going to raise many more questions than it's going to answer. And I'm sort of uh, uh, intentionally chosen to kind of keep it high, top level. This is what the Bible says. And... Then over the next three weeks, we'll have a look at what the implications for what we share today looks like in some key areas. So next week, we'll be specifically looking at sexuality and gender. Um, the week after that, we'll be looking at singleness and community. And then the week after that, we'll be, we'll be finishing up the series, uh, looking at what does it mean to be a welcoming church in, in amongst all of this and on that particular Sunday, we'll be also speaking from Mark chapter 10. It like well, it fits really nicely together, and that will kind of segue us back into our Mark series. Does that make sense? Um, so, there's a few I'm going to share about probably five or ten minutes of kind of introductory remarks about the series, um, just to help us and to set some. Yeah, just set some context for you. And the first thing is that we recognise as a church that talking about this brings actually it's quite brings lots of dangers. There's dangers of doing a series like this. We could be accused of being homophobic, judgmental, prejudiced, that we're targeting the LGBTQ plus community, that we're antiquated, irrelevant, bigoted. Um, people might post videos of our sermons or snippets or sound bites and take them out of context and that might have adverse publicity. We could cause unnecessary pain or confusion due to clumsy wording or assumptions. Some people could feel condemned or depressed, rejected or perhaps even worse. That we could give the impression that we believe there is nothing good in others' lifestyles. We don't want to do that. That we are not sufficiently clear or that we don't strike the right balance of grace and truth these are all dangers that could take place by looking at this that we come across middle class that we could offend 
So what do we want to communicate over this series? We want to communicate compassion, humility, authenticity, vulnerability. We want... um, we, we know that the, the church, as in the big C church, has had many sins and failings in these areas over the centuries. We want to communicate that we're confident in the truth of the gospel, the, 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 what we've been singing about, about the name of Jesus, the one who um, is good, that his goodness is running after us and every single person in our community, that it is good news and that he has power to save we want to communicate that marriage and heterosexuality is not the gospel. It's easy for that to come through, to come into church life and to kind of get this message that actually if you just get married and have kids, that that's like, that's all you need in life. We don't want to communicate that. That's not what we believe. What we believe is the gospel, Jesus, and Jesus Christ crucified. We want to connect this series to real people's life situations. We want to... Um, We want to make sure that we communicate that uh, you are welcome to this church, whoever you are, whatever background you've come from, and whatever things you've experienced. We want to communicate that the gospel calls every single person to change, not just some, every one of us. It's costly following Jesus, and we talked about that last week. Um, We want to communicate that we are advocates for social justice and that we would never support the mistreatment of the LGBTQ plus people. We want to give our members tools for handling situations. That um, there are certain things that we're not in favour of, like praying the gay away or anything like that. That we're a family of diversity and that there is freedom from shame for every single person. We want to break down stereotypes and discover what Jesus would do in this whole area. We want to be helpful to you in handling these issues for yourself, for your children if you have them, for your family, with your friends, with your loved ones. And that if you are someone who's been grappling with these issues personally, then you would no longer hear silent assumptions from the church or the leadership, but be clear what God calls you to, but also be fully welcomed and free to explore that honestly in this church, with its leaders and with its members. We believe that the Bible is God's word to us and that God has authority to teach us and to speak to us in every area of life, including in this one today. And I I personally want to say that my aim today is not to bring any kind of hurt or pain to anyone. I recognise that I might say something clumsily and so I'm just going to ask for your grace and your patience with me as I do that. I'm genuinely nervous actually and I have been you know as we led towards this series and um, Stuart Parker who um, is going to do most of our series is amazingly gracious and well versed in all this area but I felt actually as we start I wanted you to hear from me as well um, because I'm deeply passionate about this topic and so I'm going to try to be as sensitive as I can but I'm aware that it's possible that I could upset people. And so I'm coming, I just want you to know I'm coming at this with humility and respectfulness. And uh, we'll try to make sure my language shares the same. It's also important to note that we're going to be presenting a viewpoint as we see expressed in the Bible. Um, a worldview that is different to our culture and to society. Not just in this area, actually on every area. 
And so whether you're a Christian here today or not, it's possible that you know what the Bible says about sex and marriage, but you find it implausible. Or it might be that you, you kind of assume what you think the Bible says about sex and relationships, and you just think it's outdated, um, either because of your own sexual orientation or because of friends or loved one or family members or so on. And I just want to encourage you, that, regardless of where you are, I just want to encourage you, everyone, to follow the four weeks of the series through, not just to kind of take one, one snippet or one part of a message, but actually to take the time to listen to the whole four weeks. Um, it's good to know that you are among many people today, Christian and those who aren't Christians, who struggle with this whole area or idea. Like, we're, we're all in the same place. We're all kind of... How, how, you know, in that place of how do we communicate, how do we think about, how do we talk about these key topics. And so we're going to be exploring that together. And there might be all sorts of questions that you have, and we want to make space for those as well. Uh, it's not just a 20-minute one-hit wonder on one Sunday. Actually, we really want to take time to look at this. So whoever you are, I want to encourage you to listen to all the talks. And... Um, if there's a few more things I want to share then. It's, it's, we're, going, we've, we're putting together, it's not just the four Sundays, but a whole load of resources that I think will help to encourage everyone who's listening to this series um, uh, to kind of be able to explore this as deeply as they would like to. And so as well as the uh, four Sunday morning sessions, we've got two life group sessions that will be devoted to that. That's one this week and one in sort of two weeks' time. Uh, where we'll be... Uh, discussing this in our groups and just exploring all of that. Um, in three Sundays' time, we've got a Cafe Theology. And uh, Cafe Theology is an evening like seminar-type session. And actually, from right now, if you go to slido.com and put in hashtag Hope Church, you can start to put in there anonymous questions. And on that evening, we will then aim, we will probably group those questions because I reckon there'll be several that come up in the same area. And what we'll do is we'll then tackle those questions and have time for discussion groups and time to explore this again in more in a dialogue type manner and uh, what we didn't want to do is because this is like sensitive matters we didn't want to kind of just on the fly respond to things that actually we we might want a bit more time to think carefully about and respond appropriately to and so that's cafe theology so that will be that's open now and that will remain open for the next four weeks we want to signpost you to further resources so that you can dig deeper. And so Stuart, he is like the CEO of a charity called the True Freedom Trust, which supports uh, Christians in, in the, this, this whole area, this whole topic. And um, so we've got some, some literature from them. There's a table at the back, which you can have a look at. You can take anything on there. And also, we're going to, each week, we'll kind of share some books that we've been reading as a leadership team. And I just want to share a couple with you now that I found really, really helpful. And they kind of range in the different styles that they are. So the first one is is this one. It's called The War of Loves. It's by David Bennett. I've had the joy of like, listening to him speak live, actually, on several occasions. And um, David Bennett, he was a gay Christian, a gay activist in Australia, and then he became a Christian, and he talks about his, his kind of life story. He then, he came to the UK, studied sort of theology, and so he thinks really deeply about this whole topic as well as just talking about his own, his own experience of... Um, yeah, same-sex attraction 
Uh, and that's, that's a really good, really helpful. He's got a great section at the back as well um, that's, that I found really encouraging and helpful. So that's good. Another one on, on a similar vein is a guy called Ed Shaw. He uh, leads, uh, he was one of the pastors of one of the New Frontiers churches in the UK. And again, he's also uh, somewhat a single, same sex attracted male. And um, he talks about the plausibility problem. Um, so this church and same sex attraction. And again, this is. I sort of demolished this in about three hours and just, just smashed for it. Really, really good, really, really interesting read. And he talks about how, um, in, like, it just seems so implausible that the Bible would talk in, in this kind of day, in this culture, about uh, marriage, sex being in marriage for one male and one female. It's, he's saying that's completely implausible. It feels like that, and then he goes through and argues actually how we can show our community that actually it's a real plausible way of living, and not just plausible, actually it's a God-centered, ordained, good, and I'll be talking a bit more about that today. So that's the Ed Shaw, Plausibility Prawn. There's another book, this is called Embodied. This is specifically on gender and the whole kind of gender debate. It's the sort of subheading is Transgender Identities, the Church, and what the Bible has to say. And um, a guy called Preston Sprinkle wrote this. He's in Idaho, America. And he um, and his organization, which is the Center for Faith, Sexuality and Gender, um, think really deeply on this whole issue. And um, Stuart has printed off, they've got like lots of little parcel papers, they've got loads of them on their website. You can access them all for free. There's a bunch at the back, and one of them that we've got a f- number of copies today is it's 15 reasons for affirming same sex relations, and then 15 responses to each of them. And so that's, that's one that you can pick up from the back today, should you want to. You don't have to, but it's there. And then the last one, this is like if you are really academically minded. So these are quite easy, not easy, they're like good reads and quite fast paced. This one is Carl Truman, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. This is hardcore, like this is kind of um, at least upper A-level kind of type reading, like probably degree kind of standard reading. Um, Let me read a a snippet. It says, in this timely book, Carl Truman analyzes the development of the sexual revolution as a symptom rather than the cause of the human search for identity. Truman surveys the past, brings clarity to the present, and gives guidance for the future as Christians navigate the culture in humanity's ever-changing quest for identity. It's a great book but really hardcore. You need to be, you can't read it before bed, you will fall asleep. Um, You need to be awake. Um, But it's really interesting. So these aren't for you to take away, but they will be on the back. So if you want to take a picture, you can, and then you can go and buy it on Amazon. Um, Yeah. So there you go. So books, books, resources, the Living Out website is helpful. True Freedom and Trust is helpful. And the Centre for Faith, Gender and Sexuality website is also helpful. Um, each week, so not this week, but the next three weeks, we don't want this series to be kind of theoretical or academic. We want it to portray the lived experience of Christians. And so on each Sunday, over the next three Sundays, we're going to have someone sharing a testimony of how this has impacted them for themselves. We'll also, I mentioned the table at the back, we're going to provide the table at the back um, where each week um, we will, you, can, you can come and ask questions of the speaker, the speaker will be there, as well as perhaps someone who shared a testimony and yeah, 
and others. Stuart might be around as well. And then lastly, pastoral support. We recognise that, it's, you know, again, it's an emotional, big topic. And so you might just need to talk, to chat, to connect. And we want to make sure that we provide that. So do get in touch if you need that. Is that okay? Cool. So, um, <laughs> it's okay, good. This morning, I want to look at God's good design for sex and relationships. And I'm convinced that whoever is represented in our community should be represented in our church. Different classes, different races, different backgrounds, economic statuses, sexual orientations. Because the good news of the gospel is for all people. That all might believe and know life to the full in our Lord Jesus. And so in order for our church to be representative of our community and which we see lots in terms of like international, lots of different international, you know, as Connie was saying, who's from Germany, lots of different international, it's great. Um, we, want, we want to see that represented in our church. We also want to make sure that where there are obstacles for diversity, for people to connect, to enter, we want to make sure that we um, look at those and make sure that we are welcoming to different cultures. And that's why we want to, we want to make sure that we're looking at this topic, because it's key for in, in all, making sure that we can bring the gospel to our community well. And so, um, yeah, we need to think about what welcoming different cultures looks like, but also what welcoming people who have different expressions of language or different perspectives on sexuality, gender, and singleness looks like. And to be honest, in the face of what we might feel like an aggressive assertion from a society of how we should view sexuality, relationships, and gender, I personally want to make sure that actually that we don't do our church and our members a disservice by staying quiet. But actually, together, we tackle these key cultural topics. And so um, that's what we're doing. So, oh yeah, and I think I've already said this, but by presenting this view, I want to say it again, I know I'll be raising more questions, not less, and that's okay. I'm sort of, I'm aware of that, and, you know, you'd have to deal with that. But the good thing is, you've got several weeks to kind of work through. So, what does, I, what does the Bible say? Well, let's look at a few different chapters. What does the Bible say about sex and relationships? And um, the earliest words written in history on this topic actually come from the Bible, from the Old Testament, from Genesis. And they are repeated throughout the Bible and by Jesus and by Paul, uh, who was a New Testament writer. So in Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 to 28, it said this, So God created mankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And he said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. God, he created sex and sexuality. And he, um, male and female, together are then given this mandate to go forward and to fill the earth. He designed us as sexual beings. And God saw that all he had made. And in verse 31 of the same chapter, he said, and it is good. So it was very good. He was really pleased with what he had designed. Sex and sexuality are not what's wrong with this world. Actually, they're good things. Good things that God designed for humanity. And God has authority for how that should be best expressed because he's the creator. And if the Bible, which it is for Christians, is the authoritative word of God, then we trust him and we believe in him. We believe there's actually power in his word. And so... Um, we trust that that is right. And in verse 27, it says, everyone 
is created in God's image. Male and female. This is a wonderful expression of God's value and dignity and honour that he bestows on humanity. And it's not just men are created in God's image. It's not just women that are created in God's image. But in their maleness, in their femaleness, they are created in God's image. And they, uh, they are image bearers of God. They reflect God's glory into the nations. And yet both are different. There's a unity in their difference. In, there is male and there is female. And just like the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all equally God. But they're also different, different roles. God the Father, Jesus the Son who came to earth who, in bodily form, who died, who rose again on the cross. The Holy Spirit who speaks to us today, like as, as we've kind of heard through different people and who reveals his words to us. They're all equally God. But they have different roles. There's difference. There's a unity in their difference. And so it shouldn't be a surprise to us that as God um, sets out to create the world, that he also created unity in the difference between, between men and women. So equal, absolutely. Equal before God's sight. But also different. Different in all, all manner of different ways. And I guess the, it shouldn't be a surprise to us that the Trinity out of their quality and unity and difference, create life, and they bring forth Adam and Eve, they bring forth creation. It shouldn't be a surprise that the very next verse, after this declaration of uh, God's image bearers, is then for them to go forward and to create life. We can't ignore the link that male and female, equal yet different, are encouraged to bring life out of their sexual union, out of their difference, they bring life, just like the Trinity, out of its love and equality and difference. They bring forth life. So do male and female in marriage. And so um, I've, that, that is where the Bible starts. And this is where, actually, this is quoted again and again throughout Scripture. And in Genesis 2, verse 18 and 24, it says this, that The Lord God said, hey, it's not good for man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. And so the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then he closed up the place of flesh. Then the Lord God made women from the rib and he had taken out, that he had taken out of man and he brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. That is why man leaves a father and a mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife are both naked, and they felt no shame. Oh, yeah. The first word on the sexes, having Adam stood there and seen the procession line of all these different animals, pig, warthog, elephant, wherever it might be, is... Finally, song of it's like a wonderful song. Bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. It's like there's a sameness. This is this is me. This is humanity. There is there is something about male and femaleness that is good. That is it's wonderful. It's it's not actually a topic of difference. Actually, initially, it's like hey, this is we're one. This is this is me and you. We're the we're the same. And and Adam bursts into this wonderful song. Finally, bone of my bones and. Um, it's, it's, it's amazing, actually, that that is it's one of, of sameness. That there is a humanity, a shared humanity between the, the sexes. 
And that is the kind of the first word on this. But also, what also comes through these words and these, these verses are the community is important. It wasn't good for man to be alone. It's not good for humanity to be isolated. We've known something of that over this last couple of years. It's not good to be alone, actually. It's good to be connected, to have community. We get this blueprint for all future marriages that now one male and one female should be together, united for life. We also get told in these verses that sex is for marriage, that marriage and sex are actually synonymous in, this, in this, these verses. It's what it means to be one flesh, emotionally, spiritually, physically connected. Sometimes um, our culture likes to tell us that sex is just physical, and that's why it causes so much pain when we're separated from those that we have it with, because actually it's an emotional experience, spiritual experience. We're connected with them in one union. And um, we should trust these words. Why? Because they were written thousands and thousands of years, or 1,500 years before Jesus was born. Before Jesus. And so when Jesus was born and came into the world, into the Roman province, it had a def- very different cultural context to when these words were first written. He was in a sexually promiscuous Roman society. He, when asked about, um, about marriage, when talking about it, in Matthew 10, he refers back to these, not as a cultural principle in, a t- in one time, in one aspect, but actually as an eternal principle. And, and he upholds this. And then, as I mentioned later on, Paul does as well. The context for sex, as God designed it, is for one male and one female in marriage. Now, again, that might raise all sorts of different questions. What about freedom? Well, actually, true freedom comes with boundaries. Uh, in the past, I've given some analogies. I'll give a couple now. That um, when I was sort of 17 years old, I got given a car. got a car. Freedom to do whatever I like, to drive anywhere. And very, very quickly, I realized there's all sorts of boundaries. Actually, I have to drive on a particular side of the road. I can't just drive anywhere. I have to kind of stay on the road. I can't just drive across people's lawns. There's traffic lights that tell me when to stop and go. There's uh, other, all sorts of different loads. There's a highway code I've got to be aware of. There's, there's a financial aspect to driving. It means actually I can only get so far. And I have to think about that as a 17-year-old boy. I'm getting more money to make sure I can put more petrol in the car. There's all sorts of rules that come with the freedom of being able to drive. In fact, everything that we enjoy and love and cherish comes with boundaries. I I love football and yeah, I can tell you that if there was no lines or if the ball crossed any line on the pitch, if that counted as a goal, it'd be rubbish. Like there's 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 a boundaries to the pitch, there's there's rules to the game, there's there's lines, there's a referee, there's all of that makes it so exciting, especially when they get it wrong or VAR comes out or whatever, you know. Actually, the, the way to enjoy the gifts that God gives us is to, for those to be set within a context. And God sets the context for sex in marriage between one male and one female for life. Rules give people freedom to enjoy the thing that has been given to them. Actually, lack of boundaries actually decrease the enjoyment, just like it would do if you were playing a game and it, there was no goals. Just any time you kick the ball, it was a goal or whatever. I mean, have you ever driven in a country that has much less road rules than ours? 
I have. It's a nightmare. It's not an enjoyable experience. In fact, many people come to our country and think, oh, look at this. Everyone must be Christians because they're driving so well. They don't really think that. Um, The God who invented sex has the authority to set the boundaries for how it's best expressed. And he expresses those boundaries continuously throughout the Bible. Look at the, just, just in, I mean, there's just some. He, he sets boundaries, context for how it should be just with one male, one female, and not with one, like one male and another male. He, just, he sets those for how it's best placed. And, um, yeah, so there's like that sex and relationships, or sex and marriage... Sex is for the context of marriage. Marriage is a lifelong covenant commitment between one male, one female, as ordained by God, as expressed throughout the Bible over and over repeatedly, not just in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament. And that is hard news for some of our friends and family to hear, and perhaps for some of you here today. And that's why it's important for us to spend this time going through this. And I want to kind of ask this question then, because I want to kind of give, I'm not trying to give a defense for that. I'm allowing God to speak what he wants to speak, say what he wants to speak. But I do want to, I guess, pose a question, which is what I kind of want to leave us with today. And I guess the question is, what is the primary reason for God to create male and female in his image and to make them sexual beings and to unite them in lifelong marriage what is that I'm not asking you to call it out what is that primary reason I mean one reason is procreation it might not be the primary reason another reason might be companionship as we've heard but that might not be the primary reason I believe that the primary reason is is to help humanity grasp the passionate nature of God's love for his people God made us sexual beings with a desire for union with another precisely to tell the story of his love for us. And the fulfillment of the love between the sexes is a great foreshadowing of something that is literally out of this world. The whole Bible is full of pictures of marriage and is often used to describe actually God's love for his people. In Ezekiel 16 and in Hosea chapters 1 to 3, God provocatively uses the human experience of heterosexual marriage and sex to help his people grasp the horror of their unfaithfulness to him in light of his constant love to them. In the Old Testament, we find the Song of Songs, which delights in the pursuit of love between a man and a woman, and it portrays the amazing love of God and his people. We shouldn't be embarrassed by the sexual references there, actually, because God uses our understanding of sexual desire without hesitation to describe his faithful and unending and unyielding love to his people. In the New Testament, uh, John the Baptist describes Jesus as the groom of God's people. And Jesus himself uses that same phrase in Matthew chapter 9. Of course, the Bible starts with a marriage as well of Um, a man and a woman and its consummation and the bible ends in the story of a marriage it ends with marriage and um, with the groom and the bride and their consummation in revelation chapters 19 21 and 22 
the very first marriage and all that follow are there to point us towards how things will end with the eternal marriage of Jesus and his bride, which is the church. God in Christ to his chosen human bride, his people. The consummation of all God's loving plans and purposes for his people are presented through the 66 books of the Bible and end in that great, wonderful wedding that every single person who puts their trust in Jesus will get to celebrate and enjoy for all eternity his love and his faithfulness and his goodness. All of human history is really just the journey up the aisle to that amazing day. And just like communion is the earthly representation of the spiritual reality of being forgiven by God through Jesus' death on the cross, his blood spilt for us and his body broken for us. And just like baptism is an earthly representation of a spiritual reality that our sin is washed away by Jesus, that we are new creations, that we have assurance and hope of resurrection life in Christ. So marriage is an earthly representation of a spiritual reality that just as a husband and a wife become one, so do we in Christ. Regardless of our earthly sexual desires, regardless of your earthly marital status, regardless of your tribe, language, tongue, nature, culture or race, the good news of the gospel is that you get to celebrate in that wonderful wedding day. You are included. And do you know what? That, that's why it's so important for us to look at this issue because it means that this whole area and... Um, the gospel isn't actually about getting married, isn't actually about trying to find a heterosexual relationship. You, you might have, your sexual orientation might be different to that. The gospel is about calling you to Jesus and marriage, you can celebrate marriage, not necessarily by participating in it yourself, but by enjoying it because it really what it does, it speaks of a future glorious day when Jesus, the God of heaven will come has come to this earth and will unite you with bringing community bringing life and life to the full marriage is really all about the wonderful news and marriage it starts on the wedding day all of this that i've talked about is about that Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Symbols, shadows, parables. Sometimes this is about that. Flowers are about love. Signatures are about promises. Fireworks are about celebrations. Poppies are about war. And marriage is about the Christian gospel. This mystery is profound, says Paul, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So the wedding begins with the groom waiting at the front. He has pursued his bride and won her, and now he just has to wait. And when she eventually comes in, the whole room stands and stares at her beauty, her immaculate dress, pure and white. And spotless she gets presented to him and they declare that they have no other partners they hold hands they make promises to have and to hold for better for worse forsaking all others as long as we both shall live they exchange rings signs of the covenant promises they have just made they sign their names 
and make their vows legal. Then, as the ceremony concludes, they walk back out again, united as one. Everything he has is hers, and everything she has is his. Everybody celebrates with a meal. Later, they will express their physical union and share all of their possessions. She even takes on his name. Two have become one. And all this is about that. Jesus has made his people ready. His death for our sins has made us beautiful, pure, white and spotless. We are given to him and to nobody else. We make promises to each other. Never will I leave you or abandon you, says Jesus, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer. And we reply to him, I will forsake all other gods as long as we both shall live. There is an exchange of gifts. God gives us his spirit. There is a legal declaration. God says we are righteous in his sight. We walk on, united as one. Everything he has, his love, his power, his goodness, becomes ours. And everything we have, our sin, our shame, our past, becomes his. Everybody celebrates with a meal, bread and wine. We express our physical union through baptism in water. We give him access to all our possessions. We even take on his name and his identity. We become Christians. Two have become one. This is about that. So Ephesians 5 is that other example of Paul going back to Genesis and saying, actually, this, what God tells us about in those first few, those earliest bits of scripture, those earliest documentation about sex and relationships, actually is about Christ and his church. It's about the gospel. And so the reason for all of, oh, yeah, we go. So the question is that, is to help humanity grasp the passionate nature of God's love for his people. And I'm just going to finish by giving eight things, which are like one sentence things, don't panic. <laughs> it's not, suddenly you're not about to start an eight point sermon. Um, why this is amazing news, and it's because it paints a, a different picture for us in lots of different areas. First one is identity. For all of us, no longer is our identity something that we have to discover or feel or find, but it is revealed to us by God. We hire his children. We're made in his image. First and foremost, our identity is as a son or a daughter of God who is fully loved, fully forgiven, fully cherished, fully known. And created by him. It impacts purpose. We're given purpose from God to live for him, to love him, to follow him. And through the pages of scripture, he gives us a lifetime's worth of things to be getting on with. Everyone is included in that, regardless of gender, of sexual orientation, of preferences. Actually, we can all find purpose in God. He gives us fulfillment. We no longer have to strive to find fulfillment in sex. It means that if you are a single celibate person, you are no less fulfilled than a married person. And if you are a married person who is sexually unfulfilled or who through all manner of reasons aren't engaging in sex with your partner right now, hey, guess what? You too can know true fulfillment from Christ and can take the pressure off your spouse that should never have been placed on them in the first place. 
you can know dignity because it's not found in the fluidity of the sexes, but actually in their differences. We are made equal in God's sight, but we're also made different. And that is to be celebrated and enjoyed. You have honour and you carry dignity. And that comes not from your right to express all your inner feelings and desires, because we have boundaries, but actually simply from your humanity. Because you are human, you carry immense dignity and honour and grace. Because you're created in the image of God. You can know forgiveness. All of us in here will know the impact of sexual brokenness in our lives, from lust to pornography addictions to escapism through books to fantasy. God's antidote is not first and foremost to try to change our sexual desires, but he loves us in spite of them, and he calls us to love him in return and to follow him. And that is a cost that comes not just to the few, but to every single person in this room. We all need to lay down. Um, stuff in order to follow him you can know family and community whether you have your own or not through Christ he unites us into his bride his church and so Jesus says well who is my mother and who is my brother and who is my sister but it's the one who does the will of the father and Paul though he has no children calls Timothy a dear son because they united community through the church. And I know in here we have many grandparents and parents and brothers and sisters and mothers and daughters and aunties and uncles and godparents. You can know intimacy because it means that even outside of sex, you can know deep intimacy through friendship with others in the church and with Christ. And also you can know godliness because godliness doesn't come from getting married and having kids, but it comes from following Christ and being obedient to him. The good news about this is that all of us are called to be part of his church and often it's those who are same-sex attracted that can often be the most spiritually mature because they count the cost every single day of following Jesus. Following Jesus costs each and every one of us regardless. So let's not equate godliness to heterosexuality. The Bible would say that sex is good that it's for marriage between one man and one woman, that its context is in the lifelong commitment, that it's about meeting others' needs, that at your most you, you're not your sexual desires, which will change, but your identity is secure as a son or a daughter of God. That even in those times when you're not having sex or you can't, that you can know fulfillment, purpose and life to the full. That purpose of your life is not to get married or to have heterosexual desires but it's to live for him for Jesus to love him to follow him to be obedient to him because your life is actually not temporary but it's eternal and marriage is a covenant and that there's unity to be found even in the differences between the sexes and that our ultimate desires will be fulfilled in Jesus and that regardless of whether you get married or not whether you have sex or not or whether you're able to express your sexual desires in a biblical way or not you can know the deepest and truest kind of loves ultimately all of this will fall away in the comparison of knowing the true marriage Christ and his church consumed at the end of days for every single one of us there's a cost of following Jesus And together, we want to grow in all that it means to be welcoming, to be growing, to be trusting, to be following King Jesus on this journey. So what's God's good design for sexual relationships? Ultimately, his good design for it is to point us towards his love and his pursuit of us that can be extended to every single person that we meet.
Amen? Okay. So we've got lots more to explore. We would have raised lots of questions. That's okay. We've got time to do that. Let's get the worship team back up. And I'd like to pray, and then I'd like us to take a, a moment to worship, and then we'll, we'll end. And uh, like I mentioned, I'll be at the back if you want to talk more, but you might just want to process, think, go away. There's plenty of time to come back. Do come back next week as we explore sexuality and gender in greater detail. Let me, why don't you stand together with me and let's pray. Um, Heavenly Father, I just, we do want to thank you for the word of God. We thank you for, your Bible, for the Bible. We thank you, God, that you are a good God. And uh, I thank you, Heavenly Father, actually, you, you don't call us to a battlefield, you don't call us to battle our community or culture, but actually, you call us to bring good news of great joy that comes through your son, Jesus. I thank you for the gospel. I thank you, Lord, that every single one of us can know forgiveness and love and dignity and honour and worth. Lord, thank you, Lord God, that just in our humanity, Lord, you have called us um, image bearers of the most high God and we thank you for that and Lord we thank you for marriage we thank you for that union that you have set between uh, one man and his wife and I thank you Lord God for the representation that that is to each of us that every single time we get to go we get to celebrate not just with the couple but we get to celebrate actually the greater amazing marriage of Christ and his bride the church I pray, Lord God, for every single one of us who um, are, are thinking about this issue, who have friends, who have loved ones, who have family members, who perhaps are struggling to understand the biblical point of view. Lord, I, I pray actually, Lord, that you'd help us to today, actually, just to know deeply that, Lord, you, ha- you, have, you have set a context for sex and for marriage. And that that context is good. And I thank you, actually, even despite of all our personal feelings or emotions and all of this, Lord, we trust that you are a good father. We trust that your word is true. We trust, Lord, that you are a good God. And we trust, actually, that ultimately this is for the good, for all people, that there is good news in the gospel. And I I do pray, Lord God, for anyone today who is struggling with any of these things, their sexuality, with their identity, with all all manner of things. Lord, I pray for your Holy Spirit to pour yourself out to them. I thank you, Lord God, that first and foremost, you don't see them as their sexuality. Actually, you see them as a child or daughter of God. And I thank you, Lord God, that because of that, you invite all of us, every single one of us, into your presence. Thank you, Jesus, that you are a wonderful groom. You pursue us from heaven to earth to find us, to seek us, to win us, to love us. Thank you through your death and resurrection, Lord. You have brought us before you spotless and blameless and clean and pure that we might be reconciled to our heavenly Father. Thank you that every single one of us can celebrate and enjoy the good news of the gospel. And I just I pray, Lord God, that as we think deeply about these matters, these things over the next few weeks, months, years, Lord, I pray would you give us much grace, humility, care, compassion, 
Give us the words to speak, the love to share. Help us, Lord God, as a church, as we just explore this. Help us to have grace for one another and patience with one another, I pray. In your heavenly name, amen. Thanks for listening. We meet on Sundays at 10am at the Royal Grammar School in Guildford. We look forward to seeing you.